0: Let's stand, if we can, for the reading of God's Word, Psalm 119, and uh, we'll be looking at the first eight verses. The Bible says, Blessed are the undefiled and the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity, they walk in his ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed. When I have respect unto all thy commandments, I will praise thee with uprightness of heart. When I shall have learned thy righteous judgments, I will keep thy statutes. O oh, keep me not, O oh, forsake me not utterly. We're going to look at a sermon tonight entitled this, The Keep Commandment. The Keep Commandment. You see that word keep uh, just littered throughout those first eight verses of Psalm 119. As I was reading through these verses, and I, uh, my parents and home and And church ministries I grew up in as a small child had me memorize the first 11 verses of the 119th Psalm. And uh, so I knew the verses for a long time, but I came to that word keep. And I said, what does that even mean, to keep something? And boy, when I dove below the surface of that word keep, what I found was an ocean of just wonderful truth that I think tonight will help all of us to be able to guard, keep God's word Uh, far better. Let's pray tonight. Lord, help us as we unlock uh, some great truths from Scripture, as we do a Bible study, as we see many verses that will help open our eyes to what you intended for us, uh, Lord, when you gave us the Bible. It's so important that we not only hear God's Word, but Lord, that we're able to hold on to or keep God's Word. And so, Lord God, tonight would you help us to set aside the distractions and the fatigue I know many of the men who went to the camp out are tired, uh, still kind of catching their breath. And so, Lord, energize us. Lord, uh, help us to listen with zeal and passion this evening. Help me to preach the same way. Lord God, may you get the glory and praise in all that's said and done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, maybe you've heard the phrase, finders keepers, losers weepers. Are you familiar with that phrase? Did you use that phrase when you were a little kid? I hope you quit using it at some point in your life, all right? Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. This is the idea that if you lost it and I found it, it's mine and it's no longer yours. And if you don't like it, you can go somewhere else and pout about it because I don't care. You dropped a $100 bill in the church parking lot and I came behind you and put it in my pocket. Well, tough luck for you. Finders, keepers, Losers, weepers, usually this is a funny phrase that's used in jest with a friend. Now, all throughout Scripture, we are told to keep those things that are valuable or precious. What are some things that you work hard to keep? Um, maybe you have a firebox in your home where uh, you keep documents that you don't want destroyed if your home is destroyed. And that's a good thing to have, right? Uh, That way, if you have to run out the door during a fire or you come home and your home is burned down or been flooded, those documents have been kept safe. And uh, maybe you have a piece of furniture that is a family heirloom uh, that carries with it great sentimental value. And, Yes, it's got velvet cushion on it, and yes, it is as old as, you know, your great-great-grandmother, but that's the point, and uh, yes, uh, you want to hold on to that. You want to keep it because it has great sentimental value to you. Uh, maybe you have a safety deposit box down at the bank where you keep high-end jewelry or other valuable assets. When we think of those things that we want to hold on to or keep, we often think of the tangible, the tangible physical objects that we can hold or touch or see. But what about the intangible? What about those things that will carry us through life and help us to maintain great relationships both with God and our fellow man. Are you capable of keeping those intangible things from beginning to end of life throughout your adult life through the trials and hardships of life Uh, not just the flood that comes rushing through your home but the flood of problems that comes rushing through your life that wrecks you emotionally and not just the fire of uh, a home that's destroyed but the firestorms of problems of being fired or laid off or bankruptcy or Uh, uh, betrayal or neglect, the firestorms that would burn down the essence of who you are, are you able to keep and hold on to those intangible truths, those intangible values that would carry you through life, the word keep is a rich word in Scripture. And as we will see this evening, God has some wonderful truths in store for each of us. If we'll open up our hearts and let the Word of God move. Alright, so we're going to look at four main thoughts this evening as we consider this sermon title, The Keep Commandment. Alright, point number one, let's look at keep defined, keep Defined. Please take notes. This will be one you will want to hold on to and uh, refer back to as you go through your Christian life. Look with me at verse number 2 of Psalm 119. It says, Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. Look down at verse number 4. Psalm 119 verse 4. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. How about verse 8? I will... Keep thy statutes; o forsake me not utterly. So, what does the word "keep" mean? All right, letter A. Keep means to secure. Keep means to secure. Uh, let's let's do a Bible study. So, you get those Bibles out and uh, turn through the Bible with us tonight, and uh, let's let's look at these verses together. Turn to 2 Chronicles, chapter number twelve. Second Chronicles, chapter twelve. Chronicles is in the Old Testament. Corinthians is in the New Testament. So make sure you're in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, First and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, all right? If You make it to Ezra, Nehemiah, you've gone too far. 2 Chronicles chapter 12, look at verse number 4. The Bible says, And he took the fenced cities which pertained to Judah and came to Jerusalem. Now, That word fenced, it's not the same Hebrew word, but it is of the same family. It's a similar word, and it is interpreted here, or translated, properly translated here, as the word fenced. So the word fenced here comes from the same root word as keep. Why do you put a fence around a city? Because you want to keep the city safe, especially back before B-52 bombers, right? You put a fence around the city, and that kept the enemy out. That kept the animals from coming in, the cows, if you will, from coming in on the campground. Uh, It kept everyone safe. You with me tonight? You put a fence around a city to... Keep it safe. So, keep means to secure. Letter B, keep means to guard. Keep means to guard. Uh, In Daniel chapter number 1, we find Melzar. Melzar. He was the one that Daniel convinced to change his diet. And um, the name Melzar comes from this same root word as keep. And his name, it translates or means guardian. 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 He was the guardian of the eunuchs, the Jewish men who had been turned into eunuchs. He was to watch over them. And he was their guardian to keep them from escaping or to keep them from being hurt. He was to prepare them. And so, if you're going to keep something that is valuable, then you must guard it. Again, you put uh, your precious jewelry in a safety deposit box, which goes in a vault, which goes behind uh, a, a, a vault, which is locked with a, a combination which is behind laser systems and glasses and uh, behind a door that's locked with security guards outside. Why? Because you want that thing that you want kept to be guarded and you want it to be safe. Letter C. Keep means to preserve. Keep means to preserve. Now, turn over to Job chapter 7 and verse number 20. Job 7 and verse number 20. Just this little uh, thought on pastor, sometimes I like to take you in my study and show you how I do Bible studies. Um, there are people who've put together concordances and, and whatnot that try to tell you what a Greek or Hebrew word means. I find those to be pretty useless. I don't care about those. Uh, so I do use the Greek and Hebrew in my study, but I am no Greek or Hebrew scholar. I I. Uh, In fact, I didn't even pass Greek class in college. Shh, don't tell the Sunday morning crowd. All right? Um, I failed it twice because I kept oversleeping the class because I was getting home from work at 1 and 2 in the morning, and it was an 8 o'clock class. And so I over the class and never finished. And uh, here's something I don't know that I've ever shared with the church before. I changed my degree from pastoral to assistant pastoral. And the only difference between the two is the assistant pastoral did not require Greek. So I am no Greek scholar. I didn't even pass Greek class in college. And so I am not the one to take Greek or Hebrew and critique the Bible, I don't think anyone should do that. But I do look at the Reeker Hebrew when I study, and here's how I do it. I will look at a word that's translated a bunch of different ways. When the translators were bringing about the Bible, please don't let, let, let me lose you here, because this is really good. When they were translating the Bible, uh, they would look at a word in context. So let's say the Hebrew word translated keep in one place. In context meant keep, But in another place, it would mean to guard. Or in another place, it would mean to secure. And so, in proper context, they would take that same root word and they would translate it up into a different English word. And so, if I want to study the Hebrew or the Greek, I'm not parsing words or reading it in another language. I'm just looking at how a word was used all throughout the Bible so I can better understand the verse I'm reading and have a larger sense of what is meant by that word as a whole, alright? And look at it this way, if you learned a second language, alright, like Spanish or Italian or Latin, and um, there would be uh, times where you would hear a word and think, well, what does that mean? Let me give you an example, okay? The word espero in Spanish means three different things. It means I wish, it means I hope, and it means I wait, All depends on context of how the word espero is used. I wish, I hope, I wait. And you know what? If you don't speak Spanish or you're new to Spanish, you're going to hear the word espero and think, well, what are you waiting for? No, I'm not waiting. I'm, I'm, I'm wishing. What? I don't get it, right? So when we go back and look at the original language, what that helps us to do is see how is that word used Throughout the Bible, it gives us a larger view of what a word means. Alright, so with that said, look with me at Job 7, verse 20, and we'll see how it means to preserve. I have sinned. What shall I do unto thee, O thou preserver of men? Why hast thou set me as a mark against thee so that I am a burden to myself? O thou preserver of men. And that's a title given. To God here Um, that word preserve comes from the exact same word translated keep in Psalm 119 I'll go over to Psalm chapter 12 Psalm chapter 12 and verse number 7 here's a verse that is talking about the Bible the preservation of the Bible alright and look with me at Psalm chapter 12 and look at verse number 7 speaking about the words of God how that they'll exist forever um, Verse 6, or rather verse 7, the Bible says here, the psalmist is saying about the Lord, Thou shalt keep them, there's that word keep, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Now the word keep and preserve in the Hebrew are the exact same word. Once the word keep is chosen, later in the verse, the word preserve is chosen. So again, the same root word as we find in Psalm 119 with keep, keep, keep. In Job, we find the word used to describe who God is. He's a keeper. He's a preserver. And in Psalm 19, or rather Psalm 12, we are told that God has promised to keep Or preserve his word forever. So we see that keep means to secure. It means to guard. It means to preserve. Letter D, notice, keep means to watch. Keep means to watch. Turn over to 2 Kings chapter number 17. Again, this is more of a Bible study at this point. We'll get into preaching a little bit later, but we're laying the groundwork. 2 Kings chapter 17. And look with me at verse number 9. 2 Kings 17 and verse number 9. The Bible says, And the children of Israel did secretly those things that were not right against the Lord their God. And they built them high places in all their cities, from the tower of the watchmen to the fenced cities. Watchmen. Alright. Jeremiah 31. Can you get there quickly from 2 Kings? Got to skip past Psalm, skip past uh, uh, Isaiah, get past the book of Isaiah. The very next book is Jeremiah. Isaiah, Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31. Get there quickly. Look with me at verse number 6. So we see here that they're not doing right, so they no longer can trust the Lord in 2 Kings 17. And so they build watchtowers. They're going to watch over their own cities since they can no longer expect God to watch over their cities. Uh, So we see the word watchman. There in 2 Kings 17. How about Jeremiah 31 verse 6? The Bible says, For there shall be a day that the watchmen upon the Mount Ephraim shall cry, Arise ye, and let us go to Zion unto the Lord our God. So think about a watchtower. Think about a watchtower. What is the purpose of of a watchtower picture a man up in a watchtower he's on an elevated plane he's got one of those uh uh, seeing devices the really long ones what do you call that is it a telescope what's that Monocular telescope one of those things you're looking through you know we're on the other end the guy's eye looks like four times bigger than it actually is at least in the cartoons that's what it looks like right a spyglass all right he's looking at it what's he doing He's looking for any enemy that could be coming from a long ways away. Why? He's doing his part to keep the city safe. If there is an enemy approaching, they want max amount of time available to get things ready in order to protect a secure guard, keep the city safe. And so we see keep described or keep defined. Letter Number two, rather, notice keep detailed. Keep detailed. Go back with me to Psalm 119, alright? Let's get the details here. Keep detailed. Psalm 119, look at verse number 2. It says there, be Blessed are they that keep his testimonies, and that seek him with the whole heart. How about verse 8? I will keep thy statutes... Oh, forsake me not utterly. So, notice here letter A. We are to keep our hearts pure. We are to keep our hearts pure. Here's a verse that most of us have memorized. Proverbs 4.23. If you know it, say it with me. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You know that verse? Say it with me if you know it. Say it loud. I didn't hear anybody. Does nobody here know that verse? Say it with me. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. If you don't have that verse memorized, let me encourage you to memorize that verse. There are a handful of verses as a new Christian you really need to know. And I don't mean just know the words to. You need to know what it means. We're going to look at that verse in, in quite, quite a bit closer as the sermon goes along. But listen, you're to keep your heart. You're to secure your heart. The first step in keeping your heart is that you must first secure it. Watch. You have to stop the sin from pouring in uh, through your eyes and your ears. Where, what are the gates to your heart? All right, I want you to imagine that you live in the Old Testament era and there are uh, cities. That you live in one of these cities, and it's a large city, and it has a gate around. And all of a sudden, you start seeing all these murders happen throughout your large city, and you find out that the people who are committing the murders are visitors coming from the outside. You know what you would say? You'd say, someone needs to uh, watch the gate and see the strangers that are coming into our town. Someone needs to secure... The city. Secure the city. And you know what? The gates to your heart are your eyes and your ears. What you look at and what you listen to uh, uh, determine who you are down inside. And if you're going to let sin come pouring in through your eye, eye gates and through your ear gates, then you're going to have a problem on the inside. You cannot have a pure heart if you have impure things coming in. Through your eyes and your ears. Somebody says, well, I can, I can look at whatever I want to look at on my phone or on my television screen, and it won't affect me. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's wrong. Garbage in, garbage out. And we eat spiritually with our eyes and our ears. And you know what? If you're putting garbage in your eyeballs, then you're going to have garbage in your heart. And then if you're listening to garbage on the radio or on the uh uh, uh through your phone uh headphones, you know what you're gonna get? You're gonna get garbage down in your heart. So the very first thing you must do to keep your heart pure is you must secure. Uh think about uh then the next step is that you must guard your heart. Think about Nehemiah. He he leaves um uh, there uh, in captivity. He's the cup's, uh, king's cupbearer. He travels back to Jerusalem once he finds out that the city's walls have been destroyed and, 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 and the people are lying in, in ash and, and, and the, the, the stealing and the plundering of the city. And, and the city is lying in waste, I believe is the language there, in Nehemiah. And so what does he do? He goes to the city of Jerusalem And he sets a guard in place so that as they're building the wall, guess what? All of a sudden now they can have the protection. There can be some keeping. So uh, they build the wall around Jerusalem. And now all of a sudden, Jerusalem goes from being a dangerous place to live to being a safe place to live. Have you ever been living in a place where you felt like you couldn't walk around outside after a certain hour? Because you thought somebody might get you or grab you? And then you go on a vacation and you go out in the middle of woods. Maybe that's not the best example because a bear might get you, right? Uh, but you go on vacation and now you're in a much, much nicer part of town where crime is low. And now you can, you and your husband can go out on a walk, ladies, uh, late at night without any concern of anybody grabbing you. And you know what? When you guard your heart, all of a sudden you have protection. From sin, But not only are we to secure our hearts, and not only are we to guard our hearts, we're to preserve our hearts. Nehemiah had to have a plan to maintain the wall. Listen, it wasn't good enough that they had built the wall. He had to have a plan to make sure the wall stood strong we get these morals and standards and lives in our place in place and we put a wall around our heart but then uh we don't we don't uh keep up with that and all of a sudden things start to fall apart um, uh, how many of you here have ever been in the housing market and you've gone house shopping raise your hand even if it's been a long time ago how many of you here are in the uh, know the housing market brother Josh back here he lives in the housing market all right and uh, this might not quite be exactly what you do, because you, you buy houses to fix and and, um, and rent or flip. But um, uh, some houses, if you've done this long enough, you know just going around and looking at different houses. Some houses have been well kept, other houses are just falling apart. We uh, we were looking when we were looking to buy our first home. We had um, we had uh, an offer accepted on a home in West Haven, about three blocks from the beach. They had accepted the offer. We sent over our inspector and he got down into the foundation and found a bunch of problems uh, because, and here's why the foundation wasn't right. They had a broken gutter for years. They left unfixed and water ran down the house and began to affect the foundation. And they didn't keep up with the home. They didn't keep the home. They didn't preserve the home. And now all of a sudden that home was not worth Anything. It would have been thousands of dollars to fix the foundation. So we backed out of the contract and we didn't buy. Um, a lot of Christians, that's your problem. You built a wall at one point. You had protections in place, but you've not kept them. Uh, then the next step with uh, having keeping our hearts pure is that we must place a watchtower in the t- a watchman in the tower of our hearts. Now listen. Why is it important that you're faithful to church? Because the pastor is one of the people in the watchtower who stands up and says, Thus saith the Lord, thou shalt and thou shalt not. Here are the sins of omission, here are the sins of commission. And you need to do what's right. And you know what the pastor does? He looks you in the wide of your eye, or it looks at you in the eyeball, and he says, You're not doing this, you're not doing that. Hey, where are you? Where have you been? pastors meant to be a watchman if you 're here and you have parents, uh, your parents whether you 're grown or not, you have parents that are alive your parents are meant to be a watchman they see things in your life and they know and they can call you on it and you should surround yourself by people who help look out for what 's good for you because you want to keep your heart. How about Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6? One of my favorite verses in the book of Proverbs. The prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. We must keep our hearts pure. I want you to imagine that you came home tonight and you walked, you pulled in your driveway and there were drug dealers sitting on your front porch you'd say well, what are you doing here and get out and they'd say well you don't have a no trespassing sign anywhere and so you put a new no trespassing sign up and you know what the next time you pull up they run off and you're not able to get a good enough description to give to the police you call the police and the police don't do anything about it and you think well i've got to do something i don't want drug dealers on my front porch Right? You say, well, not in my neighborhood, but follow my example here. Follow my illustration here. So, you know what you do? You go out and you buy a fence. And you put a fence around the perimeter of your home. Listen to me, this is going to really help somebody. You know what? That thief, or rather that drug dealer, hasn't hurt your property on the front porch, but he is way too close for comfort. When you put that fence at the edge of your property, you know what you're saying? This is as close as I want you to come. Now, someone walks by and says, I don't like that fence right there. You know what you'd say? Tough. It's my property. Stay away. But you know what? That fence is only good if you if you keep up with it. If you keep it nice, you make sure it stays strong and it's not going to break. Maybe even stick a dog in the front yard. You'll get a Doberman and you stick him in the front yard. Now, nobody's going to come in. In your yard, even your friends probably aren't going to come in your yard, right? But you have that there. And you know what uh, you, you got to do there? you got to make sure that that fence stays strong. Now, somebody here tonight says, I have a problem with this sin. It's a temptation in my life. Instead of letting the sin live right up against the front door of your heart, how about you put a fence a little bit out and say, I'm going to keep that sin at bay. And I'm not going to let that sit right at the door of my heart. Maybe some of you men in here have a lust problem and you look at things that you shouldn't and uh, there's a constant temptation there uh, with that phone. Maybe you do some things to move the fence out a little bit to keep that sin from being right at the door of your heart. Maybe some of you ladies here are reading some things online that are steamy and create rust in its own way. Maybe you need to put a fence out a little bit ways in order to protect your heart. Hey, maybe some of you here have some words in your vocabulary that need to go, that bring about a heart that's impure. Maybe what some of you need to do is you need to change your television habits and change your friends and put a fence out a little ways and say, I'm not going to let them right up against the door of my heart because that just brings too much temptation. You see, if you're going to keep your heart pure, you're going to have to put some fences in place in order to make sure that you have secured your heart and you're guarding your heart and you're preserving your heart. And then you need to put some watchmen up in the watchtower who can put their finger in your face and say, what you're doing's not right and you need to make a change. They might be a little more loving than that, but somebody in your life needs to have full permission to get in your face and be personal when you're stepping out of bounds. So to keep, listen, we're talking about keep detailed here, and we're talking about keeping our heart pure. Let her be noticed. We must keep God's word personal. We must keep God's word personal. Psalm 119, 119 Go back there with me. Psalm one nineteen, and look with me at verse number two. Look at verse number two. It says, "Blessed are they that keep his." Testimonies. Keep his testimonies. You know what the testimonies are? Those are all of the accounts through Scripture of right doing and right living where things come out great. If I were to say, who has a testimony tonight? And uh, you'd raise your hand and you'd say, uh, you'd give an anecdotal story of something great God's been doing in your life. You would share a personal story. And you know what the Bible is? The Bible is full of the testimonies of those who did it the right way and the wrong way and the truth of how those things turned out. We need to keep those testimonies. Now look at how else uh, these uh, uh, wonderful truths in the Bible are described. Look with me at verse 1. Let's read down through verse 8. And we're going to put the emphasis here on all of these uh, uh, these, these uh, uh, synonyms or the kin to the word testimonies. Look at verse 1. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk, look here, in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with all the heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy Precepts diligently, oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statues. Uh, then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. Verse 8, I will keep thy statutes. O oh, forsake me not utterly. What is it that we're supposed to be guarding? I want you to view your heart like a city. View your heart like a giant city. You are to get the evil or the sin out of the city. Alright? I want everyone right now to do some inventory where you're at. What sin is in your heart, allowed to dwell in your heart, and run around the, the alleys and lanes and, and the streets of your heart, and you know that it that shouldn't be there and it should go? What is there? Maybe it's a friendship that you know is not right. Maybe there's some things on your Netflix, maybe you're in the middle of some TV series that you know aren't right, you know don't please the Lord. Maybe it's a dirty joke that you laugh at work, or even tell, even worse. We mentioned language and sexual lust either. Maybe there's some eating habits that are very unhealthy that you know don't please the Lord. What is it that you've allowed to dwell in the city of your heart? You know what you need to do? You need to make uh, some confessions to God. You need to get real with God over your sin. What does it mean to confess sin? It means that you, listen, and if you don't know this, I'd write this down. To confess means to intellectually and emotionally agree with God over my sin. To intellectually and emotionally agree with God over my sin. This isn't a, yeah, I know I shouldn't have said that, but Lord, I'm sorry. It's it's much deeper than just an intellectual acknowledgement. You know what was required for you to honestly confess your sin? A deep humility. A deep humility. Listen, I'm going to tell you, pride is a major problem in many of our hearts. We have to own up when we've done wrong. We have to confess when we've done wrong. We have to tell God emotionally, I'm as broken over my sin as I think you might be. You know what happens when you truly confess sin? You begin to make some changes so you won't repeat it. There have been times in my life where I have let people down. And I can see the disappointment on their face. And you know what? I beat myself up hard over those times. And here's what I say to myself. That will never happen again. I will never, ever, ever let someone down like that again. And you know what I do? I make changes in my life. To make sure that that will not be repeated. I think about a large city that has a crime problem. And they voted in a new mayor who claims he's going to be tough on crime. I think about Rudy Giuliani coming into... New York City was that in the 90's and he got in there New York City had one of the highest crime rates in America and he got in there and he got tough on crime and you know what New York City became a pretty great place to live for a while while he was there not so great now because you know what they went back to change the laws and be lax on crime and let uh, crime happen again but you know what for a while they got tough on crime and there was change that was brought about in that city you're going to have to get tough on the sin in your life and you're going to have to make some changes you're going to have to put a fence around the perimeter of your city. How do you do that? You do that through accountability. Let me just say this right now. All right, listen up to me, all you married people. You're married in here tonight. Before you go find some, somebody of yours to be accountability partner, your spouse is your number one accountability partner. And spouses, if your um, husband or wife comes to you with a sin struggle... That is not them handing you a club to beat you over, the, beat them over the head. Don't you beat your spouse over the head because they've come and opened up and, and, and laid bare their struggle with you. It might hurt your feelings that they struggle with a sin. You need to make sure that you handle that very carefully and you manage them very carefully. You can't handle them carefully. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. They're going to shut down and quit telling you about the sin in their life because they don't want to just be beat down every time they come to you with a problem. But all of us need an accountability partner. Everybody. Everybody needs someone to be able to look them in the white of the eyes and say, what have you been up to? You know what that means, though? That means that you are going to have to tell someone about the great struggle in your life, and you're going to have to be honest with them every time they question you on it. That's important. I've done a lot of counseling in my years, and I'm going to tell you right now, I have never once seen somebody overcome sin who did not have somebody to hold them accountable. You say, is accountability in the Bible? Um, I think you can find some stories in the Bible where people hold other people accountable. But I'm speaking from practical experience right here. If you want to uh, uh, keep uh, your heart pure, you're going to need someone to... To hold you accountable, do not lie to the people in your life who love you and are trying to help you. You say, "Well, I didn't tell them a lie with my mouth." Yeah, but you hide text messages and 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 you share secrets with other people and say, "Well, don't tell such and such." I said, and and, and don't let them know. And, and we're living double lifestyles. We're living triple lifestyles. When we're with one set of friends, we use one type of language and and, and we talk about one set of things. And and then when we get around another set of friends, we we change altogether because we know that would be offensive and then yet again we change and God says, listen, you need someone you can look in the eye and that will hold you accountable and you will be honest. Well let me back up. God may not say that, but Pastor Lejeune preaches very clear, you need accountability. And I think that example, those principles can be very much taken from the Word of God. And what what is the law of the Lord? What is His testimonies? What are His precepts? What are His statutes? What are His commandments? What are His righteous judgments? That's this right here. That's the precious Word of God. And when you learn to keep this deep down in here, oh, something amazing happens. You are to put the best thing inside of your city. What is that? That's the Bible. All right, ready? Listening? You cannot keep your heart pure if you do not daily read your Bible. Can't do it. You won't do it. Daily read your Bible. You know what? You have to put the best thing in your city if you're going to keep that city safe. You not only need daily Bible reading, you need daily meditation. You need to be meditating on God's Word. That means you're mentally chewing on it. I'm going to tell you right now, most church-going Christians do not know how to study the Bible. If I were to sit you down one-on-one and say, how do you study your Bible? I'm going to tell you what most people I ask that question do. They look at me with a blank stare like, uh, I don't know. Study my Bible? You need to learn how to study your Bible. You need to learn how to meditate on God's Word and dive deeper into it. You need to weekly memorize the Bible and you need to regularly attend church. Look with me at verse number 9. Psalm 119, look at verse number 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? I've got sin in the city of my heart. I want to get the sin out of the city. I want to have a heart that's right and pure uh, before God. Look here, by taking heed thereto... According to thy word, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, I'm going hard in my pursuit of God. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So we see keep detail. Back to that accountability thing. God just brought a verse to my mind here. How about the verse that talks about a twofold fold cord and a threefold fold cord? You know what? You're going through life by yourself, trying to overcome sin. You're like a strand of a rope. You ever seen a threefold, uh, uh, three-fold rope where you got three pieces of rope that are intertwined? If you've ever taken one of those apart, all of a sudden, one of those three by themselves is a whole lot weaker than those three together. And uh, you need accountability to help keep you strong. We see keep defined and then we see keep detailed. Let me give you number three. Keeps difficulty. Keeps difficulty. As a man with a sin nature, I know very much what it's like to have the tension of sin within me and lose. I know what it's like to want to do right and then wake up in the morning very defeated because the day before I had wanted to do right, but I had done wrong. I know what it's like to have the enemy climb over the wall and conquer me. I know what it's like for my wall to come crumbling down and for me to have ignored every voice in that watchtower. How does that happen? Why does that happen? Letter A, notice the battle from within. Matthew chapter 26. In fact, if you would, turn over to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 in your Bibles. Let me read for you what Jesus said in Matthew 26 to Peter, James, and John there there in Gethsemane. He said, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. He said, The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many of you have found the flesh to be weak? How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know, you're, you're going along through your day, and boy, everything's great. All of a sudden, something happens, and everything flips. You go know, from being joyous and happy to angry and bitter, all in a moment. You're going along and you're praising the Lord and the next thing you know, complaints and cursings are coming out of your mouth. Look at Romans 7, look at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, Paul says, but I am carnal. I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, verse number 15 here, for what I would, that do I not. But what I hate. That do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent under the law, that it is good. You know what he's saying here? He's like, when I'm spiritual, boy, I'm able to do the right things and avoid the wrong things. But then when I get carnal, all of those things that I hate, I end up doing. All of those things that uh, I love, that are right, I end up neglecting. Look down at verse 18. Paul says this, For I know that in me, and to be clear, that is in my flesh, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. He said, As long as I've got this flesh to battle against, I understand that there's no good thing about my flesh. As a man who's getting ready to turn 40 in just a few months, let me tell you what I've learned through almost four decades of life. If my flesh wants it, May not be wrong. But even if it's not wrong, the motives of why I want it very well may be wrong. And I am highly suspicious of anything my flesh wants. Anything. Because I know that my flesh is carnal. I know my flesh leads me astray. I know my flesh makes keeping truth and purity difficult we not only see the battle from within let her be knows the battle from without turn over to 1st Thessalonians chapter 3 1st Thessalonians chapter 3 look at verse number 5 Paul says "...for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain." Paul had established the church of Thessalonica under much persecution. He was run out of town by a rented mob. Uh, He was uh, uh, forced to escape. They held on to the man, I think his name was Jason, who attempted to uh, help him and and held him in contempt and, and, and tried to hold him in prison. And Paul, very concerned over the status of the church, sent folks back to them to check on them and make sure they were okay. He said this. He said, uh, by some means the tempter, speaking of the devil, have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. You know what Paul was saying? He was saying that I know that deep down when I left you, you wanted to do right. You wanted to keep truth in your heart. You wanted to march forward. But he said, I know that there was going to be a lot of outside pressures that would get you to fall. Now, I have uh, watched a lot of people over the years fall by the wayside. Folks who uh, love God's Word and were faithful to church and said amen when the pastor was preaching and showed up went soul winning and passed out gospel tracts and saw people saved and taught Sunday school classes or life groups and worked on bus ministries. I've seen pastors and pastor's wives. I've seen assistant pastors and assistant pastor's wives get wrapped up and entangled in sin and you did run well. What did hinder you? And the reality is that the devil is out there, my friend, and he has has his, well, he has his darts, his fiery darts, and he is shooting them at you. And he wants to take you down. He wants to take you out. And if you're not careful, uh, you, you will find one day that that heart you once kept pure is defiled. How does he do it? Well, he uses the same bag of tricks on all of us. He uses the world. Christians are so infatuated with pop culture. They know the music of the world. They know the musical artists of the world. Uh, they, they tune in and watch the movies that the world churns out over and over and over again. They go to church and they talk about the Bible. And then they go home and they take filth produced by people that hate God and hate you. And you give them your money in order to be entertained. And then we wonder why we struggle to do right. We wonder why. Because the devil is assaulting you through the world and its culture. How else does he go about it? Through friends. Through friends. Oh, we we need to be very careful how we choose our friends. Not everyone who wants to be your friend should be your friend. There are friends out people out there that would be my friend, and you know what I have to do? I have to limit. How much I'm around them. Sometimes I go down and get my hair cut and there are guys sitting in the barber chair there and uh, they get talking to me and I get talking to them and you know what I start hearing coming out of their mouth all kinds of language and things that aren't right and I'm friendly while I'm sitting in that barber chair and I'm doing my best to influence them but you know what? I know that if I were to get out of that chair and leave with them and go somewhere we'd probably end up in a bar. And I know that if I go to that bar, I may not get a beer, but you know what? They probably are. And if I went back with them a second time and a third time and a fourth time, eventually I'm going to have a beer in front of me too. Because I've allowed my friends, my new friends, to lead me down the wrong path. So you know what I have to do when I'm sitting in that barber chair? I have to show them the love of Jesus and be friendly. But I have to get out and say, you know what? Have a good day. i got things to do. You need to learn where to draw those lines. Some of you in here tonight, I know this for a fact, some of you in here tonight have some friends, and you get home, you need to make a decision that you're not going to be rude to them, but you're going to cut them off. Because they're not good for you. And you say, Pastor, I just can't do right. Pastor, I struggle with this. Pastor, I struggle with that. And I, I just can't seem to grow anymore in the Lord. You need to look real close and hard how the world uh, is, 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 is tainting you and how your friends are coming after you. The battle from without. The devil never stops coming after you. We understand that it can be difficult to do right. Let's look lastly, number four. It keeps diligence. Psalm 119. Look at me at verse number four. Psalm 119 and verse four. It says here, Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts. And here's an interesting adverb diligently. Diligently. How about this? How about instead of us trying to quote it, how about all of us turn over to Proverbs 4? Can you do that for me? Proverbs 4. I have three concluding uh, um, thoughts after we get done with this. So uh, don't, uh, don't close your Bibles yet, all right? Well, we're going to move quickly through them, but I'm going to give you an action plan when you leave here. Turn over to Proverbs 4 and look at verse 23. And if you don't have this verse memorized, please underline it and work on memorizing it this week. Proverbs 4, look at verse 23. Keep. Read it with me. Ready? Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Diligence. In fact, there are seven times in the Bible where God directly links the words keep and diligence together. Seven times in Scripture. Keep and diligence. I want you to imagine that you took your most prized possession and you said to me, Pastor Lejeune, I'm going away on a trip. Can you please make sure this stays safe? You know what? You would want me to diligently watch it, not leave it on my front lawn with a for free sign on it, right? You'd want me to really keep keep an eye on that. You'd want me to be very careful with that. You ever gone to the airport on a trip with some friends, and you know some of you need to go to the restroom, and so you leave all the bags together while one person watches while everyone goes to the restroom? I did that one time, and I came out, and the person left all the bags right there and was down across the way buying some pretzels. I said, "What are you doing? Do you understand that my money for this trip is in that bag? My wallet is in that." Oh, I'm sorry, I. I wasn't paying attention. Oh, I'm not leaving my stuff with you anymore. You didn't keep it diligently. And Christian, you know what? Sometimes we treat the morality and the intangible truths of God the way my friend treated those bags at the airport. Satan comes along and he plunders our hearts. The word diligence means constant and earnest effort to accomplish what is undertaken. Persistent exertion of body or mind. Now, Let's finish tonight in Joshua chapter 22. Turn over to Joshua chapter 22. We're going to finish that, uh, this with looking at one verse and see how this keep idea plays out in three ways. All right, so are these going to be on the screen, Brother Joe? No? Okay. So write these down on the back of your uh, bulletin or back of your outline there. Please do. This is a very, just as much important part uh, as the outline. We're going to move through this rather quick. So, to keep, we must, here's how we keep, we must surrender. Write that down. To keep, we must surrender. Look at Joshua 22, look at verse 5. He says, But take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you, to love your God and to walk in his all His ways and to keep His commandments and to cleave unto Him and to serve Him with all your heart, and with all your soul. So if you're going to keep, you must surrender. I'm going to tell you right now, for some of you in here tonight, or those watching online, you're not ready for this sermon because you're too stubborn with your sin. You've got to let go of your sin, and you have to surrender and say... What this book says about morality and righteousness, I'm going to live and do. And I'm not just going to follow the letter of the law. I'm going to get the heart of God and the Spirit of God on truth, and I'm going to walk in the light of this Word, and I'm going to surrender my life to it. I'm going to completely surrender that whatever this says, that's what I'm going to do. Because I trust God in His Word above everything. That might mean some friends have to go. That might mean some uh, some habits have to go. That might mean some establishments in my life have to go. But this right here is going to be number one. I might have some contacts in my phone I need to delete. I might have some friends on social media that I need to cut off or block. This right here is going to be number one. I'm going to surrender to this right here to keep and guard and value and treasure the commandments of God. Surrender. Joshua looks at these people who he had led to conquer their promised land, and he says, take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law. Surrender to the law. Surrender to the commandment of God. Number two, to keep we must seek. To keep we must seek. Look at verse number five. But take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law, which Moses the servant of the Lord hath charged you, look here, to love the Lord your God. To love the Lord your God, and to walk in all His ways, and keep His commandments, look here, and to cleave unto Him. To love the Lord your God, and to cleave unto Him. I walked up uh, to Mrs. Owens here during the song service to shake her hand. And um, she said to me, she said, I need a hug. And so I put my arm around her shoulder. I gave her a, a, a shoulder hug. Um, you ever been having a rough day and you just need someone to give you a hug? I know some of you in here don't like hugs. All right? you just it makes, you, makes you uncomfortable. But everybody here has had that time in their life where you needed your mom to give you a hug, maybe when you are little, you are having a tough time. You know what I love? I love that I can run into the arms of God when I'm having a tough time. And I can be wrapped up in His love. And I can love on Him. I woke up this morning about 5.45. I'm laying in bed, wide awake, thinking about everything that's going to happen today. I rolled over to my left, and I'm looking out my bedroom window. I just began to pray. I began to pray and tell the Lord how much I loved Him. I began to thank Him that He's called me to get to preach One of the greatest places on planet earth. I get to be involved in church work and help people and love people. And I just spent time sitting in the lap of God this morning, loving on Him. And you know what? It's a whole lot easier for you to say no to sin when you're sitting in the lap of God loving Him and cleaving to Him. To keep, we must surrender. To keep, we must seek. And notice, lastly, to keep, we must serve. Look back at verse 5. But take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you, to love the Lord your God and to walk in all His ways and to keep His commandments and to cleave unto Him. Read the rest of the verse with me. Ready? And to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul to keep we must be busy serving God serving God not serving ourselves not serving our own lust not serving uh, uh, those outside of church we must be busy serving the Lord serving the Lord and as you serve the Lord that's going to help you to diligently keep God's word I want to ask you tonight are you are you are you following the keep commandment are you, are you uh, putting a fence around? Are you guarding? Are you preserving? Is there a watchman in your tower helping you to do what's right? I ask tonight that you consider these truths and ask God to help you to have a heart that's pure and right before Him by embracing God's Word. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord God, tonight I pray You'd help us Help us to look deep inside the city of our hearts and see where sin has been allowed to take up residence. And Lord, see where we've not properly dealt with things. Somebody here tonight needs to construct a wall of morality around their heart and decide to be subservient to you. Others here tonight need to do some maintenance on the wall of their heart because they begin to let sin climb over that wall and invade their heart. Lord, I pray that we'd be people who are preserved by truth. We place a watchman in the tower and we listen to that watchman. We're held accountable to that. We love Your Word and let God's Word richly dwell within us. Lord God, that Your Word cleanses us and makes us right. Help us to submit to and follow this keep commandment. Lord God, during this time of invitation, would you break us? Would you break us emotionally and show us where we're sinful? And Lord God, help us to get things right with you. Help us to set pride and stubbornness to the side. And Lord God, help us to yield to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's stand to our feet.